Blog Talk Radio. The opinions and views expressed by the host and guest are not necessarily the views and opinions of the Blake Radio Network. Broadcasting, broadcasting, broadcasting to the world, broadcasting to the world, to the world, to the world, spreading the news and information. BlakeRadio.com, music for your mind, body, and soul. Talk radio at its best. You're listening to Rainbow Soul from BlakeRadio.com. Time. And today's topic is infection risk in medical equipment. Really? Really? Could even the simplest of medical tests kill you? This is an amazing concept. The concept that the risk lies with the testing. It gives new meaning to that old expression, uh, curiosity kills the cat. Those of you who know sayings, the other half is satisfaction bottom back. But We're not kitty cats, are we? No, we're human beings. So, curiosity, the desire to get that diagnosis, the desire to know what the name is, put a name to that disease, the desire to have a test, to pass that test, can actually, actually kill you. Um, It's uh, absolutely amazing. Absolutely amazing. And of course, um, you know, this is <coughs> something that uh, the medical industrial complex itself discusses vigorously, of course, behind closed doors. But the truth is, a simple test can uh, kill you or just ruin your life. And um, there's a little secret. At least 95% of all tests are negative. The doctor has ordered a test for you. Maybe it's an x-ray, maybe it's a biopsy, whatever. 95% chance it's going to be negative. Now, many of you, if you had 95% chance of anything, <laughs> why, well, you'd just put money on it, right? That'd be the end of it. Fair bet. But no. In medicine, people actually take the next step is actually go and get the test. So let's take a look and see what the medical industrial complex has to say about all of this. 
So it says, and this, is, this is an educational activity for all doctors, and they want doctors to be able to recognize infection risk in medical equipment. Because the question is, well, duh, where does the risk lie? And they want the doctors to know the infection risk associated with medical equipment, infection risk assessment, and how to incorporate it into uh, purchasing decisions, and developing an action plan to mitigate, that means lessen, infection risk related to the clinical environment. And so now what they're saying to the doctor then is to make purchasing decisions based on this information. Well, uh, how about uh, just not using the uh, particular equipment, you know? How about deciding that, you know, this is just not what you want to do, not the kind of risk you want to expose your uh, your patients to. And so they have these uh, these questions here. They ask they want doctors to understand. And they want doctors to know who is it appropriate to include in the decision-making process before purchasing a new piece of medical equipment for an acute care facility that would be a hospital. And um, they say everybody, uh, infection prevention, materials management, biomedical engineering, environmental services, reprocessing, and clinician users. Uh, at no point is it appropriate to maybe include a member from the user community, a member, maybe uh, someone who might be a patient, patient perspective. Eh, no, don't do that. Which of the following devices is an example of a semi-critical device? And so uh, semi-critical means you can do without it, but sometimes it's, well, very necessary. Probably a urinary catheter. Um, so they want to ask this doctor, uh, what is accomplished by cleaning medical equipment? This is something you, the patient, ought to know. Answer, visible, organic, or inorganic matter are removed. That's it. That's all. Not a lot. Not a lot. And then, uh, it is shocking that doctors are urged to recommend and prescribe, in this case, even purchase or support the purchase of equipment that is potentially, you know, uh, deadly. And so, what they tell you is that reusable medical equipment can be contaminated with infectious material during use. This is something that patients are not aware of. Like when you get a bronchoscope and they reuse the material, you get a colonoscopy, they reuse the colonoscope, it was contaminated by the prior user. And proper reprocessing is what they're telling the doctor and maintenance of reusable equipment reduces the risk of transmitting pathogens between patients. It doesn't eliminate it, it reduces the risk. So the standard of care, if applied to the scope that put up the guy's butt last week, is now put up your butt, your chances of getting an infection from the last guy 
is reduced. It's reduced. Just reduced. And the Italian doctors, medical equipment has become more complex, making reprocessing, that means cleaning it, between repeated uses on different patients, more difficult and contributing to fatal disease outbreaks. That means deadly disease outbreaks. That means killing people. You know, you get one case of Ebola and you've got to put the whole country under 21-day quarantine. But you have an outbreak of infection that kills people due to reuse of medical equipment and mum's the word. Yes, we all have to have priorities. And so they have a spalding classification system. Uh, They feel the rational approach to disinfecting and sterilizing medical devices and equipment. Now they just told you that this sterilization and disinfection process is not effective, does not totally prevent death. Well, probably as a potential victim of reused medical equipment, what do you say? You let the patient know the equipment that he's about to experience has been used on a perfect stranger in the past and an imperfect cleansing process has been employed which may still lead to an infection that will kill the person who's being tested, a person who doesn't even have a known condition. So, and what they do that is they classify things as critical, semi-critical, and non-critical. And so something that's critical is going to be put inside the body, like surgical instruments or cardiac catheters or implants. And semi-critical is something that's going to touch the mucous membranes or uh, skin that has been cut. And that would be like anesthesia equipment, endoscopes, colonoscopes, bronchoscopes, cystoscopes, get in the picture here, scope, scope, scope. And non-critical is things that are put on intact skin, which means that the chances of getting a deadly infection are less. Something blood pressure costs, stethoscopes, and uh, bedboards or bedpans. That's interesting that uh, a bedpan with feces in it from the prior user is considered to be non-critical. It's especially shocking when you think that many people in a hospital actually have bed sores or open sores on their butt, and so a bedpan might actually be uh, critical or semi-critical. Again, this is the subjective um, nature of medicine, and many people mistakenly believe that everything is cut and dried and uh, there are no gray areas. And so the levels of disinfection are low level, which they just use chemicals. And um, these are used for non, non-critical items with no visible body fluids, like uh, blood pressure cuff, for example. And you just wipe it off with chemicals. Then there's cleaning, which uses water, detergent, or enzymatic pro- uh, products. And this is for soil devices uh, and surfaces prior to sterilization. Now, they give an asterisk here. Low-level disinfection is used for most healthcare equipment because most healthcare equipment is not critical. <laughs> and so they're saying instruments require meticulous, this is in red, cleaning after point of use 
but before reprocessing. So cleaning after point of use reduces microbial burden. That means the colonoscope put up the last guy's butt should be meticulously cleaned after point of use of, of service use rather. Organic material left on the instrument, that means feces, surfaces may cause sterilization or disinfection to fail. So you can imagine if you have uh, 20 layers of cells of poop, just a little blip, and you sterilize it, the center part of that might not reach critical temperature for the necessary period of time to create sterilization. And so this is this is amazing. This is a real problem. And one that I noticed when I was in medical school, student rotation with a gastroenterologist. And he would take a scope, put it up someone's butt, boop, 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 whoop it right back out and put it in a pan, a big pan, like four feet by three feet. And in that pan was seven, eight other scopes that he had used that day. And I said, well, uh, what happens to that stuff? I mean, does someone get down there with a toothbrush and scrub every last little corner of it? He laughed. He laughed at me. <laughs> no, they don't. He said, they're going to let it sit there and soak, and eh, it should be okay. I looked at that and said, well, I don't think so. And, of course, that's what they found in later years, that that really is not okay. And so dry or baked on soil is much harder to remove, so clean it up right after you use it when the feces is moist. The liquid sterilants are less effective on uncleaned items. And so these items actually were never cleaned. He pulled them right out the person's butt, didn't clean them, put them right in the pan, and uh, a liquid sterilizant, and um, we can only hope what happened after that. And so improper cleaning may lead to disease outbreaks. And, of course, there are disease outbreaks. That's why they're giving doctors all this education and training. Everyone must be involved with cleaning from environmental services to physicians to nurses. The growing complexity of reusable medical equipment complicates optimal reprocessing. Let's put that in English. Many of you out there work in an environment where maybe you work with computers. And computers are very complicated and very delicate. So, <coughs> they need special conditions like temperature and humidity. Otherwise, they break. And so temperature gets too high, they stop working. Well, these complex devices are the same way. <coughs> this means certain devices, you cannot reach a sterilization temperature or maintain it long enough to kill all the organisms. And so this places a greater emphasis in need for manual cleaning because they can't tolerate the high temperatures. And that's what happened with these scopes. They, so I said to the doctor, well, aren't they going to put it in the sterilizer and the autoclave? Or aren't they going to, aren't they going to get rid of the, you know, all this stuff and burn it off? He said, uh, no, they can't do that. The material, the instrument is too delicate. So a lot of these instruments that they put in your body for different tests and to visualize or see things are too delicate to sterilize. Yes. And here they say the lumen, that means the hole in the center, is long and narrow. The channels are too small to pass a brush through. Or they have ridges, angles, or non-smooth interior surfaces. And they have sleeves surrounding the rods, the blades, activators, inserters. 
uh, nearby devices, surfaces where debris can get stuck, and valves that regulate the flow of fluid through devices, and devices with features that hinder disassembly. So these are issues, and because of these issues, the use and reuse of these devices is actually unsafe, very dangerous. Hi, I'd just like to remind you, you're listening to Healing with Dr. Daniels on the Blake Radio Network, A Rainbow Soul. And so they're saying they're designing for intended use. Now they're saying, well, manufacturers should consider all intended users who are designing, when designing medical equipment. Uh, excuse me, shouldn't the FDA consider something when approving the medical equipment? And so saying differences in devices from model to model or manufacturer to manufacturer further complicate reprocessing, which means you can't improve the device. Lessons from ERCP outbreaks. And these are scopes that are put in the duodenum. So complex design of these scopes impedes reprocessing. That means you can't get it clean. More than 135 cases and counting of multi-drug-resistant bacterial infections due to contaminated scopes have been reported to the FDA and CDC since 2013. Only 2017. That's four years. Four divided into 132. That's over 30 cases a year. And if you hold uh, these outbreaks, the same standard you hold Ebola, well, this is a cause for a national emergency. And this is only one device, the ERCP device, for looking at the small intestine. And so they're saying, well, you know, if they had a disposable tip, that could simplify reprocessing. Hmm. And then some things cannot even be immersed in water, like ultrasound, uh, transducers, the laryngoscopes that the anesthesiologist put down your throat have uh, handles that can't be immersed. Why? Because the handles have a big battery in them and electrical uh, components. So they say, well, the handles have no direct contact with patients but can get splattered with biological material. Um, you know, depending on the, the anesthesiologist's technique and use of his hands, yeah, that uh, contamination from the laryngoscope can easily get in the person's mouth. The anesthesiologist puts the laryngoscope in, lifts up, doesn't see anything quite the way he wants it, maybe repositions a little bit, help him with the other hand, and then pulls it out. Now both of his hands are, are contaminated, and he uses one hand to open the person's mouth, so now he's put the bacteria into the person who's, under, who's he's trying to put under anesthesia. Of course, they're heavily sedated. But yeah, these things can, can contaminate people. So manufacturer's recommendations for cleaning or disinfecting handles should always be followed. Studies have found high rates of microbial contamination on ultrasound transducers. And so you get an ultrasound test, you say, oh, I'm just getting an ultrasound test, just getting an ultrasound. And you don't realize that that cold goo they put in your belly and the metal part they pass through the goo can actually give you an infection and cause an outbreak. Now I'm telling you to maintain the equipment, 
and the, the heater cooler units and cardiac bypass surgery can, can cause people to get contaminated and get these infections. And so it is not uh, reasonable to presume that because what you're getting is a test and not a surgical procedure or a test and not a newly prescribed drug that it's at all safe. And actually, uh, it's not. And that's what they're teaching your doctor. (laughs) But of course, the doctor does not pass the information on to you. Why? Well, we doctors have been told in medical school that certain things you just don't tell patients because, well, they can't handle the information. Just can't handle the information. And so prevention starts with the purchasing decisions since they bring all the stakeholders to the table, the clinicians, staff for materials management, biomedical engineering, environmental services, infection prevention, and reprocessing. Below, the stakeholder, the patient who, who might lose their life, that's not a stakeholder. I found this very curious. When I was um, on a board of directors to a hospital, and here we were making decisions that literally created more deaths in the hospital, literally could double or triple a hospital bill, and there was no person around the table representing the perspective of the patient. So this person was materials management, that person was purchasing, this person was uh, janitorial services, environmental services, they call it now, another person's the medical staff. So everyone's got a perspective they're representing, but there's no one at the table representing perspective, I mean, the patient. So number three is to provide adequate resources for reprocessing. Then with time and equipment. You have to have enough people putting enough time in and the proper equipment to actually clean these testing devices. And of course, you have to train that staff. And this is what I saw when I was uh, in my residency that was lacking. The whole cleaning process in many cases was, was, was rushed. And I could see where it did take a lot of uh, you know, resources. And think of this. Each time you pass the scope, somebody gets paid, you know, maybe a thousand, two thousand dollars. If the scopes are dirty and can't be used, how much money is being lost? Answer a lot. So there's a tremendous temptation to rush the process. So failing to follow the manufacturer's instructions can damage equipment and increase the risk to the patient. So this is pretty serious. And so they're, they're suggesting visual inspection of devices before and after uh, reprocessing, means after cleaning it and getting it ready for use by a second patient. But again, a lot of things uh, would not be seen. And this is what they want the, the hospital employee to look for. Remember, I use this employee as a high school graduate near dropout. To examine the device for debris that could prevent complete disinfection or that survives reprocessing. Look for corrosion, discoloration, pitting, or cracked seals. Uh, might maybe you need a magnifying glass for this. And um, you have to assess potential causes of damage and evaluate associated risk. That means evaluate associated risk means like, eh, is it okay to reuse this even though it's not perfect and it might transmit infection? Well, we're feeling lucky. This is incredible. Incredible amount of just casualness. And so 
the hospital is filled with hazards. A lot of people think the hazards they face is from drugs or surgery. And here is yet another hazard, and of course there are many. So what's a person to do? What is a person to do? The first thing is to realize that a test is not just a test. No, a test is not just a test. A test is another uh, risk-filled, potentially deadly uh, maneuver. And you guys decide if you want to participate, if it's worth it to participate. If what the doctor is looking for is something that's not deadly, not going to kill you, then, duh, why take a test that will kill you? So this adds even more urgency to the patient deciding, you know what, I don't think I need to know. I don't think I need to let my curiosity kill me. Some people say, oh, Dr. Daniel, not everybody dies from those tests. That's true. But many people do get their lives ruined. I had a patient who had a colonoscopy, and um, he got the colonoscopy, and boom, within weeks, he got diabetes. And that was that. Another person uh, went to a colonoscopy. Why? Just because. It was time. Just to look. Just to check. And they never pooped right after that. You know, these are real situations that affect people's lives. And... Um, you know, devastate them. So you got to decide for your life what it's worth. You really want that test. You really need to know. Um, personally, in my life, I've made the decision to not have any more medical tests of any kind. In fact, I went to see a dentist last week. I didn't even get dental x-rays. Like, no, we're not doing any testing. That's just not on the table. Um, as for medical, uh, not only do I not get tests, I don't even go to the doctor. That don't even show up. But this is an amazing um, thing that people are just simply not aware of that these tests are very dangerous, that these uh, tests involve reusable instrument parts where, you know, people are just not as safe as they, <clears throat> as they feel or as they believe that this is a real hazard and something that people will need to uh, take seriously. So the thing to do is to ask yourself, is this test worth dying for? And usually the answer is no. Even if they would have found something bad, like cancer or something, chances are the complications from the biopsy, the complications from the scope, would kill you sooner than the cancer would. So that is today's uh, show. The important thing is, yes, the simplest of medical tests can kill you. And just say no. Well, as always... Think happens, and we'll see you again next week. Wait, we got to find our uh, outdoor music here. Hmm. Ah, there it is. Alrighty. There we are.
Okay, see you next week.